The kids go, you can grab your Bible or grab a pew Bible and turn to the book of Micah. We've heard the gems theme verse a couple times today already, but we're going to read it again in Micah in chapter 6. If you're using a pew Bible, then it's on page 759, Micah 6. We're looking at Micah 6 and, and verse 8, which is their theme verse, and specifically we're zeroing in on the verbs. We've been given three verbs to think about this morning by the GEMS ministry. So actions, actions begin with ideas. Actions begin in the mind, right? Actions begin with words. Ideas are formed by words. And when it comes to words, it's the verbs that have the power, right? Verbs move the world. The gems gave us, have given us three really good ones, really good, three good verbs to focus on this morning. The verbs we've been given are act, love, and walk. And of course, those verbs are taken from the theme verse. So we'll read it now, Micah 6, and I'm going to start in verse 6, and we'll read through verse 8. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Let's pray together and ask the Lord for his help. Holy Father, your people have been reading these words, hearing these words, thinking about these words, trying to live out these words for a long, 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 long time. And now we too, as your people, come before your throne and we receive these words of instruction and guidance and blessing from you. We want to understand these words. We want to apply them to our lives. We want to live them out. We want to be the kind of people, the kind of men and women and the kind of girls and boys that walk in faithful obedience to your word, that live lives that are pleasing and honoring to you. And so we ask for your help this morning. In Christ's name, amen. All right, well, I think that we can all agree. There's not a ton of things we can all agree on, but I think that we can all agree that the world, the world is a mixed bag of good and bad, both. So one question that I've been asking people lately is, which way do you think it tips, though? Do you think that the good outweighs the bad, that there's more good in the world than bad? Or do you think that the world tips bad? And that the bad outweighs the good and that there's more bad in the world. I've been asking people that lately and I've heard thoughtful answers on both sides of that question. I've heard thoughtful and, and godly people answer that question in both directions. It's a tough question. It requires some thought. How you answer that question, whether the world tips good or whether it tips bad, uh, it probably depends upon your circumstances and what you're experiencing. Probably 
depends on what's happened to you or what is currently happening to you. But here's the follow-up question. Given the fact that the world is a mix of both good and bad, how can you and I move the world in a positive direction? In other words, how can your one little life that you have, how can you use it to be a force for good, to contribute positively towards the good in the world? And as I think about that question, I think that these three verbs can help us. These three verbs can help us be a force for good in the world, to act, to love, and to walk. But now we need more than just these three verbs. We need adverbs and we need direct objects, right? So for example, simply acting, if you just act, that's not necessarily going to push the world in the direction of good. The question is how? Act how? Do what? How are we supposed to act? And the answer from our verse is that we are to act justly. That is what is going to promote the good in the world, is if we act justly. And simply loving, I mean, love is a good thing, right? But simply loving isn't necessarily going to push the world in the direction of the good. It all depends on the object of your love. So what are we supposed to love? The answer from our verse is that we are to love mercy. That's what we're supposed to love. And simply walking, well, walking, just walking isn't necessarily going to push the world in the direction of the good. So you might think that the question we're going to ask of this verb is where, right? Because walking is a directional verb, and so you might be wondering, well, where are we walking? But that's not the question we're asking, because this verse isn't so much focused on the destination. This verse is focused on the how, how we're walking, and the who. Who are we walking with? And in order to be promoters of the good in this world, we need to walk humbly with God. All right, so now we have the three points of this sermon taken right from the Gems theme verse. Act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. All right, so let's begin. In order for my life to be a force for good in the world, I need to act justly. In order to illustrate this point of to act justly, I'm going to tell you a story about one of my heroes. Uh, this man is named Bartolome de las Casas. Bartolome de las Casas was Spanish. He was a Spanish aristocrat, he was a landowner, he was wealthy, educated. He lived about 500 years ago, quite a while ago. At the time, Spain, which is where he's from, was one of the two most powerful nations in the whole entire world. And Spain had just discovered that there was a whole new world to the west of them, beyond the Atlantic Ocean. They had just discovered that. It was news. They didn't know. And now Bartolome hears this news, and he thinks to himself, well, great, that sounds like an adventure, and I could use an adventure. New lands that I've never seen before, new people that I've never met before, new experiences that I have never had before, new opportunities, I'm in. So Bartolome packed up his stuff, 
got a ticket on a ship, headed across the ocean to the new world, new adventures. He had money. He had education. He had the means to do it, and so he did it. He took off and went to the new world. He was so excited, and then he got there, and he was horrified by what he discovered. He came to what we now call Cuba. They didn't call it that back then, but we, Cuba is where he came to. And then from Cuba, he went to what we call the Dominican Republic. And what he found in both places is that the new immigrants who had come to the new world were not acting justly. Those lands, of course, already had people living on them. And the Spanish newcomers who were coming to these new lands with these people already living on them were not behaving like good guests. Instead, they showed up at that land and they claimed that land for themselves, despite the fact that it already belonged to other people. And then they claimed those other people for themselves. And they forced them to work as slaves on their newly claimed land. And if any of those indigenous people dared to protest or resist, these Spanish newcomers, they were imprisoned, sometimes tortured, and sometimes killed. Now, what would you do? What would you do if you found that out? Well, you could participate in that system of stealing land and oppressing the inhabitants, but we all know that's not acting justly, right? Well, you could pack up your stuff and go home and say, well, I'm not going to have anything to do with this. I'm not going to participate in this. It's not right to oppress people. It's not right to steal their land. It's not right to take advantage of them. I'm out of here. That would be better, but that is still not acting justly. Why not? Well, choosing not to act in a way that's unjust, that's good. But to act justly means that when you see an injustice, You don't just turn around and walk away and say, well, that's not my problem. You do something to promote justice. You become a justice seeker. That's what it means to act justly, and that's what Bartolome de las Casas did. He said, this is not right. This should not be happening. And now that I know about it, I can't pretend that I don't know about it. And because I know about it, this is now my responsibility, and I need to do something about this. And so what he did was give up all his land and give up all his wealth and become a Dominican monk and devoted the entire rest of his life to ending the oppression of the indigenous peoples in the, North, in, in, in the Americas. And so what he did was he traveled all around the New World where Spain had established new colonies, and he wrote down, he was like a reporter, like a journalist, he wrote down all the injustices that he observed. And then he took all those writings together and made a book, and he published that book. The book is called A Short Account of the Destruction of the Indigenous People. And he brought that book back home to Spain, and he said, hey, everybody, you're not going to believe this, But listen to what's happening over there in the New World. Our people who are going over there, you might not know this, but they are oppressing and enslaving and killing the people who already live there. It's not right, and we need to stop it. Now, back then, news didn't travel so fast. 
So the people didn't know about that. A lot of them didn't know about it. And so he made sure they knew. And then he said, look, now that you know, you have a responsibility. You need to do something about it. And this book, everybody started reading this book. And in fact, the book found its way all the way to the king of Spain. And the king of Spain read it. And the king of Spain said, how can this be? What? We're supposed to be the good guys. We're supposed to be over there helping those people, not killing them. And eventually, because Bartolome de las Casas woke up every day and said to himself, Lord, I will act justly today. The king passed new laws to stop the oppression and to protect the indigenous people of the Americas. Now, I wish I could tell you that that was the end of all the oppression, but it wasn't. It's hard to enforce laws when you live all the way across the ocean, but at least it helped. It helped. Do you know what it helped do? It helped push the world a little bit toward the good. And that is what it means to act justly. Not just to commit no injustice yourself, although that's a good start, but it is to promote the cause of justice and to do something when we see injustice. Our God, our God is a God who cares passionately about justice, who loves justice and hates injustice, hates oppression. And he wants his people to share that concern, right? We're made in his image. He wants his people to look like him, to reflect his values in the way that we act. He wants us to share his concern. He was God was constantly telling the Israelites, not just this one verse, although this is a great verse, but he was constantly telling the Israelites, stand on the side of justice. Stand up for the oppressed. Speak up for those who don't have a voice themselves. And he still expects his people to do that. He has told you what is good. He has told you what the Lord requires of you to act justly. And there is still an awful lot of injustice in the world today, as we all know. And each one of us has a small but important role to play in being justice seekers, in promoting justice, in acting justly. All right, that's the first verb, act justly. The second verb, love. Love, mercy. Notice that we're not just supposed to be merciful. It doesn't say be merciful. It says love mercy. If you love mercy, you will be merciful. But he's making a point here by using the verb love. Do you know that we are shaped by the things that we love? Right? What you choose to love, what you choose to fill your heart with, that's going to shape who you are. What you love defines you. Should you love yourself? Yes, absolutely. God made you. God doesn't make junk. You should love yourself. Of course you should. Should you love God? Absolutely you should love God. You should love God. Actually, he should be top of your love list. You should love God above all things. Should we love other people? 100%, right? Definitely we should love other people. We're supposed to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Well, what else should we love? Well, some things to love are optional. You don't have to love everything. Some things are optional. I love ice cream. For my birthday last week, I had a giant bowl of Ben and Jerry's ice cream. In fact, it's not even quite right to say it was a bowl. 
because I ate it right out of the carton. <laughs> I love ice cream. I'm shaped by my love of ice cream. I act on that love. But you don't have to love ice cream. That's an optional love. But everyone, some loves are not optional, everyone, every single person who is a member of God's family, without exception, every single one is supposed to love mercy. It's not optional. It's not an optional love. It's an absolute love. We are supposed to love mercy. Love it. Love it. Don't just do it, although we are supposed to do it, but we're supposed to love it. Why do we have to love it? Well, when you love something, you act on it from the heart, right? I love ice cream. I don't have to be commanded to eat ice cream. No one has to tell me to eat ice They have to tell me to stop. <laughs> they don't have to tell me to eat it. I eat it because I love it. I love it and I act on it. But we are all supposed to feel that way about mercy. We're supposed to love it so much that we don't need to be commanded to do it. We're supposed to love it so much that it just flows out of us. That's how we're supposed to think about mercy. All right, well, what, what is mercy? The word used there in the Hebrew for mercy is the word chesed. Chesed, that's the Hebrew word. That is one of the most important words in the whole Bible, chesed. Chesed is a great big word that encompasses lots of ideas. It's one of those big, rich, deep Hebrew words that we don't really quite have a good English equivalent. Hesed means mercy. That's a good translation. It means mercy, but it means also kindness and steadfast love and faithfulness and goodness and graciousness and all of that stuff kind of balled up together. Normally, when you come across the word hesed in the Bible, and it's all over the Bible, normally it's describing God. The vast majority of the times you see the word hesed in the Bible, it's describing God. But here in this verse, it's not. It's describing us. We're supposed to love Hesed. And if we love Hesed, then we will act with Hesed toward others. Now, specifically, the translation here, and it's a good one, the translation is to love mercy, to act with mercy towards others, means that we're gracious towards them, we're forgiving towards them if they do something wrong to us, we're kind towards them if they need something. We're compassionate towards them. We understand how they're feeling. Even when they don't deserve it, that's how we act towards others if we love mercy. If we love mercy, it means that we don't hold the faults and failures of others against them. We don't say, oh, okay, now I got you. Now I got, I, I, you did something wrong, you messed up and I saw it, now I got you. That's the opposite of loving mercy. To love mercy says, okay, I get it. I see your faults. I see your failures. In fact, some of that mud that you stomped on splashed up and hit me. But I forgive you. And I love you. No matter what. That's loving mercy. I'll give you an example. I like stories from history. Here's, a, here's another story from history. This is about a woman named Corey Ten Boom. I bet you heard of her. Corey Ten Boom. I, I can tell by your face that some of you have heard of her. This is a story from her life. Corey Ten Boom, she acted justly. She did the first one for sure, her and her family. They acted justly. They helped Jewish people. Jewish people were being persecuted and being imprisoned. And Corey and her family 
They helped him out. They didn't have to, but they chose to. Not only, they saw the persecution, and not only did they say, well, we're not going to do that, which is good, but they said, we're going to do something about that. We're going to act justly. And so they protected the Jewish people, even though it put their own family in danger. And eventually their family was caught and put in a con concentration camps, and, 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 and most of them gave their lives and died for the cause of justice. But Corey survived, and she was eventually released. And a little later, a few years later actually, she had an encounter with a man who was a German prison guard in one of the concentration camps where she had been a prisoner. She knew him. She recognized him. Here's how she describes that encounter. She says, It was in a church in Munich that I saw him. He was a balding, heavy-set man in a gray overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. People were filing out of the basement room where I had just spoken. It was 1947. I had come from Holland to Germany with the message to the German people that God forgives. And that's when I saw him. He was working his way against the traffic and towards me. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, but the next moment I saw the blue uniform and the visored cap with the skull and crossbones. And it came back to me in a rush. The huge room with the harsh overhead lights and the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor and the shame of having to walk naked past this man. And I could see my sister's frail form in front of me, her ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent he came up to me and he said, you mentioned Ravensbrück in your talk. I was a guard there. And it was clear that he did not remember me. But since that time, he went on, I've become a Christian. And I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things that I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well. He put his hand out to me and he said, will you forgive me? And I stood there. I I, whose sins every day have to be forgiven by God, but I could not forgive this man. <laughs> Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death just for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there with his hand held out, but to me, it seemed like hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do in my life. And I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives us has a prior condition. God says that he forgives us and that we must forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus said, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand, I can do that much, but you have to supply the feeling. And so, woodenly, mechanically, I thrust, I thrust my hand into the hand that was stretched towards me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder and it raced down my arm and it sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. And for a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard 
and the former prisoner, and I have never known God's love so intensely as I did in that moment. That's what it means to love mercy. It means that we're willing to love and to forgive others just as God has loved and forgiven us. Because here's the thing. Sooner or later in life, you get the chance to live this out. Maybe not as dramatically as Corey did in that moment, but we get opportunities to live this out. And it's in those moments, it's in those opportunities that we discover whether or not we love mercy. Because by definition, we extend mercy to people who don't deserve it. And the only way you're going to be able to do that is if you really and truly love mercy. If you really love it, then in those moments, you can extend it. And as you do that, as you extend mercy to people who don't deserve it, you push the world in the direction of the good. You contribute towards the good in the world. The final verb is walk. The obvious question, as I mentioned, to ask when we're thinking about the verb walk is where? Do you want me to walk? Okay, where do you want me to walk? But this verse doesn't tell us anything about the destination. Instead, it tells us how to walk and who to walk with. The how is humbly, the who is God. We're supposed to walk humbly with God. Those two go together. Walk humbly with God. They basically mean that as we make our way through the wilderness of this world, we're not alone and we're not in charge. That's what it means to walk humbly with God. You're not alone and you're not in charge. Think of it like this. If you enter a destination into the map app of your phone, oftentimes you enter the destination, you get presented with multiple ways to get there. Right? Your phone gives you options. You can go this way. You can go this way. It'll be about two minutes slower. You can go this way. It's more scenic, but it'll take you longer to get there. Right? You have options. And then you choose one. And you follow the path. And if all goes right, you end up where you want to be. All right. Well, imagine you take your phone with that map app and you enter the destination and the place you want to go is heaven. All right, phone, tell me, tell me the de- how to get to heaven. And your map spits back at you, let's just imagine, one and only one way to get there. Here's the way. No no options, just this is the way. And you think, hey, that's not the way I want to go. I want options. What happened to my options? I want to make my own path. I want to do my own thing. I want to be my own navigator. You give me options. I'll choose the one I like better, and I'll chart my own course to heaven. Well, that's not the way it works. When we commit to walking humbly with God, it means that we're no longer in charge. It means that we're no longer the navigator of our own lives. Hear that. It's important. You, if you're walking humbly with God, then you are no longer the navigator of your own life. To walk humbly with God is to say, where you lead, I will follow. Even if it's not the path that I wanted to take, where you lead, I will follow. If we come to a fork in the road and I want to go that way, and you want to lead me that way, then I'm going to choose to walk humbly with God and go where he leads, not where I want to go. Do you know what that requires if you're going to do that? It requires humility. 
It requires you and I to loosen our grip on our own lives and say, not mine, yours. And it's to humbly recognize that we don't always know what's best for us. I think I do. I think I know what I need all the time, but I don't. You know who does? God. God does. And so we will obey him and we will submit to him no matter what, and we will follow what he has revealed to us in his word. But it also means that you will never walk alone. That too is important. You will never walk alone. You will walk through this life on your way to heaven with God. With God. That's one of life's greatest blessings, but it does take humility. It sometimes means standing out in a crowd. You know that feeling when all you want to do is fit in? When all you want to do is be like the other girls? You know that feeling? Sometimes walking humbly with God means you're going to have to make a decision that's going to make you stand out. Sometimes it means you're going to have to do things that you wouldn't have chosen to do. Or you're going to have to not do something that you really, really, really want to do. It basically means, there's a verse that tells us about it that Jesus said, it basically means denying yourself, picking up your cross daily, and following Jesus. That's walking humbly with God. All right, we did it. We covered the three verbs, act, love, walk. We fill them in with adverbs and direct objects, act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with God. Now, it would be very easy for me to end right there and say, all right, girls, get out there and do it. But here's the problem with that. We can't just do it on our own. We're not strong enough. We're not good enough. We're not self-disciplined enough. It's too much. But here's the good news. Jesus came and he did all these things, and now he's the one that empowers us to do them. Right? Just think about the life of Jesus and how it relates to Micah 6.8. Right? We're told to act justly. Think about that. Can you think of anyone who ever did that better than Jesus? He always acted justly. He stood up for the oppressed. He cared for the sick. He cared for the poor. He befriended the outcast. He loved the unloved. He spoke truth to power. He confronted those who practiced injustice, even though it got him into trouble. If you want to know what a life of acting justly looks like, you look at Jesus. And he loved mercy. He didn't just tolerate mercy. He didn't just practice mercy because he had to. He loved it. He forgave people who sinned against him. He forgave people who betrayed him. He blessed people who cursed him. He loved his enemies. As he was dying on the cross, he called out, not for revenge, he called out for mercy upon those who, who were killing him. And Jesus could have stayed in heaven with his father for all eternity. He was perfectly happy there. He didn't have to come here, but he did. In the greatest expression of humility in the history of the world, Jesus came. He humbled himself. He took on flesh, and he walked. He walked among us. And as he did that, he did not walk alone. He walked humbly with God. The Father was always with him except for that one moment when the Son was forsaken by the Father to pay for our sins. And if you think about it, his death on the cross was the ultimate display of acting justly and loving mercy. 
God's justice demands that sin is punished. God's mercy is looking for a way to forgive sinners and not punish them. Jesus' death on the cross accomplished both at the same time. Just punishment for sin, merciful forgiveness of sins. Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with God. That's what Jesus did for us. And because he did that for us, we too are able to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God on our way to heaven. And when we do that, then our small and seemingly insignificant lives become big and important, and they push the world a little bit more towards the good and away from the bad. And gems, by God's grace, we see you choosing to live that way. We see it, and it makes us proud and happy, and we pray that you'll keep it up. Let's pray together. Dear God, we all need, we all need this prayer, but I'm going to pray right now for these young women who are part of the GEMS ministry. We thank you for them. We thank you for the ways we see your love in their lives. We thank you for the ways that you're shaping them into the girls and the young women that you've created and called them to be. And we do pray that their actions, that they would act justly. That not just that they would not do things that are unjust, but that they would pursue justice, that they would be promoters and proclaimers of justice, that they would act justly. And we pray that they would love mercy, that they would love it, love it, and that mercy would flow out of them and they would be able to be merciful even towards others who have hurt them or been unkind to them, that they would be able to extend mercy just like you did. And I pray that they would walk and that they would walk humbly and that they would walk with you, that they would recognize that they're not in charge of their lives, but that you are and that you are always with them. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.